Uh, as Sarah said, we're in the middle of a series called The Thriving Life, and uh, we are going to continue that. Next week is the last week of that, so uh, it's, been, uh, it's clearly from people's feedback, a series that's resonated with people. Um, we live in a society in which uh, there are many, many good things. We have many opportunities. We have many uh, good things with technology that we've just heard about. Uh, many kind of opportunities, and yet, and yet... There is much within that that maybe leads to our lives not being as thriving as they may be. And we're going to turn to read from the Bible together. So if you've got Bibles or on your phones or on your iPhones or whatever it may be, uh, do turn. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 32, and we're going to go to 6, verse 12. And the words are on the screen for those that don't have it in front of them. And the context so that we know is that God has just given his people uh, the Ten Commandments and the kind of, if you like, his guidelines, his laws in the way that they should live as they go into this land that they have been promised but not yet seen. Verse 32 of chapter 5. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It was good uh, to hear uh, from Mike. Are you good at going to the doctors? Put your hands up if you think you're good at going to the doctors. That's why we need people like Mike who are good doctors to go to. I'm not so good at going to the doctors. And recently, because of uh, my voice and all that, I've had to go to the doctors a little bit. And I'm not very good at going to the doctors because I'm the sort of person that likes the quick fix. So if I go to the doctors, I want a quick prescription. Take this medicine for a few days and all will be well. Take these pills, 
Maybe if you could just get one, brilliant. That's the kind of person I am. And yet, to do with your voice, there is no such quick thing. And the doctors and speech therapists have said to me, it's all about exercising well, your voice. Do these things every day, and then over a period of months, you may see improvement. And of course, for someone like me, and you may be like me, you want a quick pill, and yet, and yet, what I'm being told is it's the long term that things will improve. We live in an instant fix society where we can quickly get out our iPhones or we can quickly look up something. We can go to a pub quiz and no longer need to be in our head. We can just search it on our phones. Where we instant gratification, instant information, instant communication. And there are many, many good things like that. But of course, many of the best things in life aren't instant. Most of the important things come with time. Like relationships, building on things. And of course, the most really crucial things in life, we are only able to see how they do a long time afterwards. Ask anyone who has been married for six months to speak to somebody that's been married for 50 years. And those who've been married for 50 years will admire the exuberance of the six-month marrieds. And yet they'll look at each other with a winsome wisdom that says, you haven't seen anything yet. Time. And today, as we continue this series, we're thinking about being a church and being individuals who move from the focus on now to focusing on the not yet. Moving from the instant that we want to being about what is in the future and what we leave behind us. Time will tell, as the old saying goes. And this is true for us as individuals, to be people who move from our focus on now to being people who focus on the legacy we will leave behind, but also to being true as a church, to being the kind of church that makes a difference in this city Yes, now, but way beyond us as individuals for generations to come. And God's people in this passage are on the edge of a really exciting adventure where after much promise, they're hoping to get this land that they've been promised. And did you see verse 33? Listen again, what will happen when they get there? So that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you possess. There's something up ahead that is good news. And so in these verses, there's three perspectives that I want to put on us, that I want to suggest are important for all of us. Three aspects, three steps to this for all of us as individuals and for us as a church. And the first is this. We all have a calling according to these verses. And the calling is to think about the next generation, not just about my generation. To think, to move from the now and the focus on what I want to the focus on the not yet or what is behind me. Parents, the encouragement in these verses is that you have a massive opportunity with the children that you are helping to bring up for generations to come long after you've gone. In your workplace, you have an opportunity now to make a massive difference for generations beyond you. 
In our family groupings, we have an opportunity with our family and our friends to have an opportunity way beyond us. Teachers, you are instilling something in your children that will have an opportunity way beyond you that will literally change the world. And so as we look at these verses, you'll see there's some bold things. Verse 1 of chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that your Lord, your God, directed me to teach you so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. We have an opportunity to fear God and to teach our children and their children and their children's children by the way we live our lives today. And I want to say one of the things that's thrilling about Riverside is just how many people are involved in helping generations, the young people and the children, get to know Jesus and grow as his followers. Whether we as individuals have our own children, we are all a part of this story to help our children, our young people, the generation behind us. And I don't know if you know the guy named John Wesley. Now, John Wesley started the Methodists. And when he started the Methodists, there were seven things that he told trainee Methodist preachers. Here is what he says to them. Listen to this. Where there are ten children in a society, we must meet them at least an hour every week. This is the Methodist ministers. You must meet them an hour at least every week. Talk with them whenever you see any of them at home. Pray in earnest for them. Diligently instruct and vehemently exhort all parents at their own houses. Some will say, I have no gift for this. Listen to this. Gift or no gift, you are to do this. Or else you're not called to be a Methodist preacher. Do it as you can, till you can, as you would. Pray earnestly for the gift and use every help God has put in your way in order to attain it. Wow. I have no idea if they had children's workers. I'm sure they did. In those days, specialists. And yet, John Wesley, just like the writer of Deuteronomy, says this is all our task. And do you notice the two ways they did? Two ways they fulfilled this calling? Well, firstly, they're to teach the truth of godly living. Let me read to you verse 6 and 7. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, this is to be infused through all of life. Not left for the Sunday school teachers or not left to the specialists. All of us impress them on their hearts, the generation beyond us. But there's something important that you might be thinking, well, Tim, I don't have children, or or my children are grown up now. Well, look who this is oriented to. This is not oriented to individual parents, individual families. This is oriented to the whole community. Your children. And so whether you have children or not, we all get to part of this calling to help the next generation glow, grow and flourish as followers of Jesus. 
But do you notice something in those words? Let me read them again. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is a heart journey for all of us. To think it's not just about me, but actually there's an opportunity for the generation beyond me. So teach the truths of godly living. That's what the writer clearly says. But there's also something else. Listen again to verse 10. Verse, uh, sorry, 11. You go to a place where houses will be filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant, that when you eat, you're satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So we teach the truths about godly living, but we also tell the story about God's rescue. My story of growing up in a church environment is one in which I've shared before, in which I, when I went to university, I knew all about godly living. And I didn't follow it that much when I went to university. But what I hadn't really grasped was the truth about God's rescue. And so that when I finally had my freedom and I wasn't doing the kind of things that I should be doing, I got to that place where I felt broken and utterly desperate And it was only then that I began to discover the truth of the God who had rescued. And if we're involved, we have an impact in the generations beyond us. It's not just about teaching good living. It's about showing God's rescue. That we're people of grace, people of hope, people of freedom, people of forgiveness. People see. So we want to be a church and we want to be individuals that are all the time thinking about what is helpful for the generation after us. And I heard a cracking story about a church in America that was started about 30 years ago, not this similar time to us as a church. And it was started as being a very hip, trendy church trying to reach the young generations. And it started with a fledgling group of people. And then the senior pastor now was still the senior pastor then, if you see what I mean. And one of the founding couples came to him and said to him, we think it's right for us to move on from this church. And they said, the reason we feel it's right for us to move on is that things have changed a bit. And, and the kind of, you know, the stuff, the music, the way things are, they're not really doing it for us anymore. You know, we started out and it was really working, it was vibrant, but now it's just not really doing it for us. And the senior pastor's response was fascinating. He said, I'm really pleased that it's not really doing it for you anymore because it is doing it for the younger generations. And that's the kind of church we want to be. The kind of church that focuses and says, yes, isn't it great that we have an impact on generations beyond us with the things that work for them? Praise God. That's the kind of church we want to be. So that's the calling we have. But in this, therefore, we see the fruit Look at the fruit. See what this achieves? Verse 2. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord, as long as you live by the keeping of these decrees, and so that you may enjoy long life. Verse 3. Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly as, an, as, as a people. Verse 33. We read it earlier. So that you might prosper and prolong your days. If we do this, if we fulfill this calling, God says there's flourishing ahead. 
Prosperity in the full sense of the word, not financial prosperity, but that kind of wholeness. Friends, none of us can forget the impact of a life well lived on the generations around us. Whether or not we have our own children, children see our lives. People around us see the way we live. And that has a massive potential. Parents, you don't need me to tell you, you have a profound and massive potential in the way you bring up your children. Teachers, those in education, you have a profound and massive potential to invest in those children. If you've got children in your sphere, with close friends you've got children, or family members, you have a massive and profound potential to impact them for many, many generations. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going back to the church where I trained at Bible college. I was kind of associate pastor whilst I was there at Bible college. And one of the guys, whilst we were there, a young guy in the youth group, uh, became a Christian. And it was great. It was a good buzz. And all the girls loved him. It was all exciting. He then went away to university. And like a lot of these things, you're not quite sure how it's going to go, judging by my experience. And yet, I went back a few years later on, and he happened to be at this event. And it was so thrilling to see a man passionate about Jesus leading his CU at university, making a real difference for God in the place that he had been called, all because people had been witnesses to him many, many years before. Friends, we have the opportunity to do that. And can I say, I want to ask us to do something today. After this Services come to a close. I want us to all try and find somebody that's been helping out one of the children's groups today and go up to them and effusively say, thank you so much for all that you've done this morning in investing in the generations to come, in investing in the not yet as well as the now. And for those that are in this room right now who do this, you just don't happen to be on this week, sorry you miss out. No, no, no. We want to say a huge thank you to you for your sacrifice, your care, your prayer, your faithful commitment. For all of those who make Sundays happen, from the setup to the PA to the visuals, you're all playing a massive part in helping generations come to know Jesus. Why? So that it may go well with us and that we may truly flourish. That is good news. So that's the calling. And that's the fruit. We could end it there. That'd be a good buzz. And yet, I'm now going to read some of, I think, the saddest words in the Bible. You see, this commands, this opportunity, the potential that we have. Well, we turn to Judges chapter 2. And let me read to you. after Joshua had dismissed dismissed the Israelites. They went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Yes, we're thinking, they've done it, they've got there. And then we come to, I think, as I say, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord 
nor what he'd done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, the gods. A generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. It's two things, isn't it? They didn't know the Lord and they didn't know what he'd done. That knowledge is not head knowledge, information. It's heart knowledge, isn't it? It's that relationship and a whole generation. And I want to say something as I was preparing this. I'm a parent. I know some here aren't. Some are. And I think that for parents, this is the thing that probably, if you're a Christian parent, concerns you most. This is the stuff that keeps you up awake at night. This is the stuff that burdens us. And it is so easy to read this and feel an overwhelming sense of guilt or shame. And for others of us who aren't parents, we know we've got people in our sphere where we're just mates. And we know we have the opportunity, and maybe we're the only ones who do have the opportunity to help them get to know the Lord. And we feel a sense of guilt or burden. I want to encourage you, as those words we sang earlier, you are stronger than our hearts. You are greater than the dark. And parents, friends, family members, let's not let this be a burden that squashes us. May this be an inspiration that inspires us. There's still time to make a difference. There's still time. And the interesting thing here is that because a whole generation grew up, this isn't about specific families. This is about the whole of God's people. This is a corporate we thing. We all together are in this. Parents, you're not on your own. Friends and family members, you are not on your own, which is why we need each other to help each other, to say, I can't do this. I'm not very good. Please, would you pray for me? I'm not sure how to do this with my kids. I'm not sure what this looks like with my, with my niece. Please, would you pray for me? Would you help me? We're in this together. So that we can be a thriving church for a thriving city. That cities that were promised. We want to be the kind of church that makes a difference for generations beyond us. That's why we're so thrilled with all the people like Martin involved in so many different things. We're so thrilled with all the youth stuff that happens. That's why it's so good when we have all age gatherings because there's an opportunity to partner together and journey together as one saying, yes, Jesus is really important. That's why we're constantly asking for more help in groups because it's so important. May we be a people who are never said, after them, a whole generation grew up who didn't know the Lord or what he'd done for them. And of course, ultimately, we all have that individual choice. Children will have that individual choice for themselves, but we want to do all we can, not getting in the way, so that they might come to know Jesus and might know what he's done for them. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the band back up, and as we pray... I'm going to ask us to do something um, quite bold. So can we all stand? Please, please stand.
We were singing earlier and Val shared that word about Jesus being the name above all names. He's the name that's even bigger than our failings. Even bigger than uh, the things we get so, so wrong. And I'm going to simply ask us to hold out our hands if you'd find that comfortable to do that. To hold them out. And as it were, once again, to say, God, I commit myself to this community and the wider community in all the ages that is part of it. To be a people that will, first of all, be gripped by our hearts, gripped by all that you've done. And then so be people who who aren't, as it were, just teaching information, but are shining you. So as you hold out your hands, I'm simply going to ask God that he would come and inspire us and fill us again for the huge privilege it is to be a part of generations making a difference in this city. Father, We are weak and we get so much wrong. And we know the biggest impact of our lives we may never see in this lifetime. And Lord, as we've prayed for Mike going to Sierra Leone and all the the challenge there, Lord, we pray for us in the challenge in our lives with our hopes, with our dreams with our responsibilities, with our relationships. God, we want to be people who just speak so freely, who shine of you so that the generations around us can't help but notice what you've done for us. Fill us again, Holy Spirit, we pray, for this huge task that we would be people who are free from a sense of guilt, but who are inspired or on fire for the generations beyond us. May it be so, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.